welcome to Connecting the Dots podcast. Join us as we take a deep dive into the keys to recognizing African history and experiences. Here's your host, Deborah Calhoun. Welcome to Connecting the Dots. I am your host, Deborah Calhoun, and this is a podcast where we will dig deeper into a range of subjects and events key to understanding the African global community's history and experiences, both here at home and abroad. Today we will be discussing how do we know what we think we know? How do we know what we think we know if what we have been taught is limited because of versions, interpretations, opinions, and having been educated by those who oppress us on a global level? We are educated by a system that suggests we have no input, no participation, no contribution to world or U.S. history just a few things that we can think about in our most recent lifetimes. Black History Month. We've been calling for it forever, just really recognized as a month-long celebration as late as 1976. The Martin Luther King holiday. It took easily 10 years for this country to acknowledge his contributions to not only the human rights movement, but the civil rights movement. Juneteenth, most recently, last year, I think that's the shortest acknowledgement of a holiday, at least in my short lifetime. It took a year, even though black folk have been celebrating Juneteenth since 1876, thereabouts, or 1865, I should say. If we look at even our summer of discontent last year in June with the assassination of George Floyd as last of, as recently as last year, and I I recall all these things is because there are events that we have celebrated, that we acknowledged before the formal acknowledgement by the system at large. And if we go to the African continent, we know that that whole, what one professor friend of mine used to say, cognitive dissonance, where you selectively remember what you want to remember and conveniently forget what you want to forget, has been lifelong since even before the slave trade. Because the analysis was, oh, those people over there, they don't count. If it's not white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, it don't matter. So the job, uh, I think, for us as, as listeners, as a community, as activists, as community organizers, and just people living in the regular schmegula United States of America and globally, our task is deliberate political analysis. And I think with that, acquiring that skill will enable us to unpeel the layers on anything that we might want to consider. Kwame Ture, formerly Stokely Carmichael, used to say all the time that the job of the conscious is to make the unconscious conscious of their unconscious behavior. And I'll repeat that again. The job of the conscious is to make the unconscious conscious of their unconscious behavior. 
Our job is to make those who don't want to see, see and understand that their actions have an impact and an outcome, even when they don't want to be. He used to say all the time that often in this work of community organizing, our job is to drag the perpetrators of injustice into the light of truth, whether they want to be in that truth or not. And since racism is global with a particular local dynamic, we have to be active in our own political analysis and interpretation using our history, our experiences, and reality as the basis of that understanding. And some of this, I think, is so appropriate given the whole old, new, new, old discussion of so-called critical race theory. And I think it's so um, telling that we have to unpack that again when it's something that organizes. We've been doing that all the time. We know that racism often has an unconscious manifestation, and we can see it in the laws. We can see it in the institutions. We can see it in um, the working of the uh, institutions to create a certain power dynamic that includes those for protection of those with the complexion and the denial of everyone else. But we have to unpack and analyze that and come up with interpretations that will shape our strategies and finding solutions to our problems. And ultimately, as another organizer friend of mine used to say all the time, uh, when you raise the bottom, everything rises. So if we work to improve the, 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 the status of the lowest of the low of society, in a global sense and in a local and national sense, everybody else on top is going to rise by definition. Let's think about decisions. What would you rather have, full knowledge and disclosure or half of that knowledge? Laws are a product of the understanding of the people in their time and space. But we know that as more information is acquired, by definition, you have to modify and alter, and we do do that. This country has done it since its beginnings, from the 13 colonies on the eastern seaboard to conquering a whole continent all the way to the west coast. For example, we can look at the idea of the three-fifths compromise. We know that this was uh, a piece of legislation done at the early beginnings of this country for the purpose of trying to determine how representation was going to be had in both the lower house and upper house of Congress. And the South won out with this position of three-fifths, or that's what they settled on, I should say. Uh, the North didn't want to count them at all. That it was those Northern representatives, those Northern uh, colonies that did not have slavery as the economic base of their operations. But the South comes back with, well, well, we feed them, we clothe them, we shelter them, we, 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 we uh, give them gainful work, we civilize them, etc. But the whole point here is that at one time, African-American people were considered three-fifths of a person for purposes of representation. Um, Africans were not believed to be human. They were believed to be less than. They were of lower or diminished intellectual ability. 
Slavery was a necessary evil and therefore good for the slave. And of course, we know that old adage that, you know, Africa had no history prior to its touch by Europe. But let's put it on a real practical level. Would you, pr would you trust a professional with half the knowledge? Would you trust your doctor, your lawyer, your car mechanic, a cook or a chef, your parents? Do you trust you with half the knowledge of making an important decision? Any one of those professions I mentioned have a certain level of education attainment that they have to have in order to be proficient. You wouldn't want a doctor, and I had a knee surgery two years ago. I want my doctor to know his game. I don't want him to get in there after he done cut my leg open. He got the other leg in a sandbag. Uh, I can't remember what I do with this meniscus. Do I leave it out or do I take it or do I cut it? Or a lawyer who's representing me in a court of law. Or a car mechanic who don't know how to hook my car up to the computer that tells him what exactly is wrong with the transmission. You want people with full knowledge and disclosure. And this is to say then, my students, that everything changes. Nothing stays the same. There is always new information coming to the fore all the time. Let's look at another example where this question of change is important and inclusion of new information is really important. There used to be a discussion over whether Africa was the origins of humanity. Mary Leakey, with her husband, Louis, discovered footprints on the Latoli sand plain in Eastern Africa, Central East Africa, in 1954-1959. Her discovery was dated at 1.7 million years ago. They kicked it on Mary. They kicked it on Lewis. How dare you say Africa is the birthplace of humanity? Isn't the, the Peking man and isn't the Jomon man and all these other folks in Europe and Spain everywhere but Africa? Most recently, Dr. Owen Lovejoy at Kent State University in 19 or 2018 discovered Artipithecus remedius, and the archaeological clock then, upon analysis of his find, pushed the archaeological clock back 3.7 to 4.1 million years ago, well past what the Leakeys were doing in the 1950s. And that is just to say that information is always coming to the fore always needing to be included. Even when you look at old information and you come with new ways of analyzing it and including who needs to be included and what factors need to be included, you come up with different inclusions. Um, another example, we can look at communication transformation that has happened within our short lifetime. I remember phone booths on every corner, ran by Ohio Bell or Ma Bell before they broke up the Bell system of telecommunications. I remember pagers of all things. I remember AOL's America Online's AIM program that helped you communicate. Yahoo had a pager service. MSN had Messenger. I remember MySpace, Skype. All this stuff that we used to communicate, my son had a pager. And he said, when I said, when I told him, when I, you see my number pop up in this darn pager, you best be calling me. 
But that's the only way I had to communicate with him while I was at work. Now we have phones that are literally computers in our back pockets. We FaceTime. We screenshot. We instant messenger. We WhatsApp. We do all of these kind of things of communicating with each other that not even 40 years ago was unheard of. We used to watch the Jetsons, and I wondered, darn, we're going to have cars that fly, and we're going to have people you can talk to on the television? We sure do. That's what FaceTime is about. Right on your phone, you're talking to somebody. Or Zoom meetings that we'd had to go through through the pan-scamic-demic that happened just past a year ago. So things change. Print media versus digital media. Everything changes. Nothing stays the same. Even when we can look at something and it appears to have no visible movement from its external character, we know because of the constant reality of change, there's molecular things happening within that piece that appears to be immobile. You can take a piece of wood. Let's even do it. And if we had the the vision and the time to sit and watch a piece of wood that's outside in the environment. Now, externally, it's laying on the ground. We don't see any movement. It's not animated. Squirrel isn't picking with it. A dog isn't playing with it. But if we sit and watch that piece of wood long enough and we have the, the, the luxury of time on our hands to sit and watch that piece of wood, we can literally see it disintegrate right in front of our eyes because of the character that is going on within that piece of wood and the actions of the external environment on that piece of wood. Sun, snow, rain, wind, freezing, melting, um, the, 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 the action of, of um, different types of uh, amoebas and different types of microcellular organisms affecting the internal character of that piece of wood, fungi and things of that sort will literally break that piece of wood down to dust and into the wood or into the soil. So there's always movement, even when it appears not to be movement. And as as those of us with a a social reality, living and interacting with people on a social level, we know we have to interact and change with people in order to make change in terms of a societal level being changed. Um, The reason why I talk about why we know or how do we know what we know, because what we know is limited by the time and space in which we first know that information. Just last week, Political reported on the release of 57-year-old records relating to the 1964 murders of Cheney Goodman and Schwerner, three civil rights workers who went south to investigate church burnings. We know that the KKK was involved. We know that there was cooperation of local police forces. We know that African-American folks who were activists in the South at the time, as well as these three civil rights workers who were unfortunately killed, were ran out of town, fired from jobs, lost livelihoods, houses burnt down, churches burnt down. So those were in the forces of reaction wanted to make it so that they knew or didn't want exposed new information about the unfortunate murder of those three civil rights workers. So I'm only arguing that change is always evident. So that is to say, our knowledge is not stagnant. 
you just don't stop at third grade and know I learned all what I need to know in third or fourth grade and you stop learning. No, the human animal continuously moves and grows and becomes intellectual about things and grows in their knowledge base. They don't, nothing stays static. If it's static, it's dead. You don't stop learning until you're dead. So what is this to say then? It is to say that African people are still the subject of, their, of, the, of the discussion of their lives. They are not the object. That African-centered history, people-centered history, uses the people as the basis of that analysis of their culture and experience. We know, if, if nothing else we know, we know white supremacy like nobody else knows white supremacy in the world. And so that means how we interpret it and understand it has to be seen from the position of those who are most affected by it. Laws, institutions, and systems change, and they modify all the time. All we have to look at is look at uh, most recently police community relations, and we see that change has to be made. New information requires a change and an alteration of the approach. So with that, we discussed how we know what we know. Quick takeaways. Better knowledge means better outcomes. Self-knowledge is a key to better mental health. Full access to accurate information helps us make better decisions. And it puts the onus on the African-American community, those oppressed by white supremacy, and as well it puts the onus on those who oppress. Y'all got to change up the groove or lose it all. We have to act consciously in our decisions and in our improvement of society and in improvement of our own political condition. Even our grandmother and I have one. I'm sure you all have one. She reminds us that when you're feeling bad, I can't help change the world, but I can make you feel better. At this time, he passed out that, that ginger ale and a couple of crackers. Go lay down, take a nap. You wake up, you'll feel a lot better. And usually you do. Enough to think and solve the problem that is whatever going on, whether internally or externally. So I want to thank you for listening today as we unpacked just a little bit on how we know what we know. I am your host, Deborah Calhoun, and I would like you to use freely of any information you learned in your daily travels, in your work and discussion and interaction with others. Remember to each one teach one, rinse and repeat. Each one teach one, rinse and repeat. You may follow me on any of the following social media platforms. On Facebook, I am Designs by Deborah Calhoun. On YouTube, I am Diamond in the Rough, two words. On Instagram, I am Rough Diamond 824. And on Twitter, you may find me at History Sister. Thank you until next time.